Last night was brutal in Ukraine. Again, the shelling, again, the bombing of residential areas and civilian infrastructure. We will fight as long as it takes to liberate the country. If children are born in shelters, even when the shelling continues, then the enemy has no chance in this undoubtedly people's war. To victory, glory to Ukraine. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to a special emergency episode of the Act Protect Engage podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Chase H. I hope you guys are having a blessed weekend so far. I know I just watched my 76ers win, so that is a positive for me. We are talking about a really serious subject today. It's the evasion of Ukraine by Russia, led by Vladimir Putin. We are discussing. We're going to give you updates on what's going on so far. And we're going to give you a sense of the David versus Goliath struggle that this really is. I don't think people understand how massive of a mismatch this fight actually is, at least on paper. All right. But Ukraine has a few things that it has going for itself. And these are things that you can't teach. These are things that you cannot check off of a stat sheet. All right. We're going to discuss it today. I hope you enjoy. Ape. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to a special emergency episode of the Act Protect Engage podcast. First things first, thank you to all of our domestic and international listeners. We love you guys. We do this for you. Shout out to all the supporters. Thank you so much. We can't, we cannot do this without you. All right. Also, a few housekeeping things. Turn on your post notifications. I say this every single time. Please turn on your post notifications because when you're watching Netflix, you're going to hear a bing. When you hear that, that means that a new episode is streaming. Also, if you could rate and review us, that would be amazing. All right. <laughs> I say the same spiel every single time, but I'm going to keep saying it until we get our numbers where they need to be thank you so much for joining me today all right guys so so we're back uh this is another current affairs podcast you know a lot of our most popular episodes we're dealing with current affairs so we're going to do a special episode today and we're going to give you guys a little bit of background on what led up to this invasion now if you guys go back and check my catalog I talked about this 
a few months ago. I actually had a podcast episode dedicated to the Russian-Ukrainian border crisis. And back then, it was just a border crisis. It wasn't a full-scale invasion. So this will be an updated episode to give you guys the most current information. The sources I have based this podcast episode on were updated as of like three hours ago. So this is the most, you know, up-to-date information that we have so far about the different factors that led up to this war, right? Because um, if you want to know about, you know, about a decade, a little bit over a decade ago, well, no, not a decade, a little bit less than a decade ago, um, if if you want to learn about what led during um, the revolt of 2014, what was behind that, go back and check out my previous episode, but right now we're talking about the invasion itself, what led up to the actual invasion. So the timeline is going to start around like a year ago. All right. So we got a few sources. We have uh, BBC News. We have AS News and we have CNN. So we have three international news sources today. All right. So by land, sea and air, Russia has launched a devastating attack on Ukraine. If you've been living under a rock and you don't own a smartphone or TV or radio, you probably haven't heard, but that's what's going on right now. Ukraine is a European democracy of 44 million people. Russian forces have pushed their way inland and are now battling against Ukrainian defense forces just miles from Ukraine's capital city of Kiev. Okay? Now... For months leading up to the invasion, Russian President Vladimir Putin, he's denied that he would even invade his neighbor. I remember I was having debates on my uh, Instagram with people. Oh, they're not going to invade, man. Biden's just making it up for political gain. And then they invaded like a week later. So I kind of saw the writing on the wall. He was building up his forces. He was amassing this massive 200,000-man force pretty much surrounding Ukraine leading up about, I don't know, starting about, I don't know, six months ago or so. Russian troops began to amass at the border of Ukraine, essentially surrounding the country. And many experts believe that Putin was simply attempting to bully Europe into making some concessions, right? Because Putin's always testing the waters. He's always sticking his toe in to see what he can get away with and what he can't get away with. So, there was a part of me actually that was like, you know what, you know, maybe this is just like a power play. But as more and more troops started building up, it just didn't feel right. Instead, Putin shattered the fragile peace in Europe, sending his forces across the border into Ukraine's north, east, and south. What comes next could jeopardize the entire security structure of the European continent, all right? So let's talk about it. Why have Russian troops attacked? What are the reasons that Putin has given the world for this unjust invasion? All right. Russian forces are closing in on Ukraine's capital mere days after Russia's leader ordered a full-scale invasion. In a pre-dawn TV address on February 24th, Putin declared Russia could not feel, quote, safe, develop, and exist because of what he claimed was a constant threat from a modernized Ukraine, okay? He's scared of Ukraine because Ukraine is becoming more modern. 
They're they're a um, growing democracy, and they're sitting right on Russia's border. Okay, NATO has been kind of showing interest in them and the EU. So to Putin is like, man, we are not safe with you, which is ridiculous, with Ukraine at our border. Russia targeted airports and military headquarters first, then tanks and troops rolled into Ru- into Ukraine from Russia, and Russia annexed Crimea and also Russian ally Belarus. So Russian forces entered from three different areas, Crimea, Belarus, and of course from Russia itself, from the border. Putin's allegations were false and they were irrational, all right? He claimed that his mission was to protect people subjected to bullying and genocide, and he aimed for the demilitarization and de Nazification of Ukraine, which is ridiculous. There has never been and never will be a genocide in Ukraine. Ukraine is a growing, vibrant democracy led by a Jewish president. Vladimir Zelensky, he responded to Putin's accusations. How could I be a Nazi? Zelensky claimed that it was in fact Russia's onslaught that more closely resembled Nazi Germany's invasion during the Second World War. They're the real Nazis. Ukraine's chief rabbi in the Auschwitz Memorial have also rejected Putin's ridiculous accusations. Putin has frequently accused Ukraine of being taken over by extremists. And this really started in uh, 2014 during a popular uprising that kicked out Viktor Yakunovich. He was pretty much run out of Ukraine because he was corrupt and he was rejecting a lot of proposals that would help the Ukrainian people, that would help the country. So the Ukrainian population was sick of it. They had a popular uprising. It, it became a little violent and bloody, but they pretty much kicked the pro-Russian government out of Ukraine. Yakunovich ran back to Europe, or not to Europe, I'm sorry, ran back to Russia with his tail between his legs, complaining to Vladimir Putin, who in retaliation seized the southern region of Crimea and triggered a rebellion in the east, backing separatist forces who had fought Ukrainian forces in a war that has claimed 14,000 lives since 2014. So Yakunovich gets kicked out of Ukraine. He runs back to his master, Putin, saying the, ele- you know, the election was, you know, was bullcrap. I lost the election. It shouldn't be that way. There's, there's people from the West influencing things in our country. This is corruption, etc. So Russia goes, okay, they see a, a perfect opportunity to take advantage of the destabilization in Ukraine. They invade Crimea and then annex it. And their excuse was there's Russians in Crimea that are asking to break free from Ukraine. So Russia invades Crimea in 2014, and Ukrainian forces have been fighting them in Crimea, in the uh, eastern region of Ukraine since 2014, and 14,000 people have have been killed. Late in 2021, Russia began deploying large numbers of troops close to Ukraine's border, while repeatedly denying that it was ever going to attack, right? Then Putin tore up a 2015 peace agreement that they made, that he made, that he was part of, in eastern Ukraine, and he officially recognized 
areas under rebel control as independent territories. All right. For decades, Russia has strongly opposed Ukraine's move toward joining the European Union and the West's Defensive Military Alliance. When he announced his invasion, he accused NATO of threatening, quote, our historic future as a nation. So he didn't, like I had said in the first podcast, he wants Ukraine back. Ukraine was the first country to declare independence when the Soviet Union fell, right? So Russia has always kind of held Ukraine close to its heart, like, you know, like the long lost <laughs> cousin that got away, right? So they want him back. And, um, they really don't like the fact that Ukraine and other countries in the area are trying to uh, modernize, okay? How far will Russia go? That's a good question, right? It is now clear to the world that Russia is looking to overthrow Ukraine's democratically elected government. Its official aim is that Ukraine be freed from oppression and, quote, cleanse of the Nazis, which is absurd. President Zelensky said... He has warned, right? He has been warned that the enemy has designated me as target number one. My family is target number two. So the Russians are after Zelensky's head. They want him dead. They want him gone so they can install their own pro-Russian puppet government like they had in 2014 and prior to 2014. The false narrative that Ukraine has been taken over by fascists since 2014 has been repeated constantly ad nauseum on government-controlled state TV in Russia, spinning propaganda nonstop to help justify any type of future aggression. Putin has spoken of bringing to court, quote, those who committed numerous bloody crimes against civilians. Of course, he's the one committing the bloody crimes against civilians. Russia's plans against Ukraine has faced stiff resistance from a population that despises Russia, right? Once he crossed the line and invaded and started attacking uh, civilian cities and bombing indiscr indiscriminately, the population has turned against him. So any support that Russia might have inside of Ukraine is probably gone, other than in the already disputed territories. In January, the United Kingdom accused Moscow of plotting to install a pro-Russian puppet to lead Ukraine's government, a claim Russia at the time right, denied as straight nonsense. One unconfirmed intelligent report suggests Russia aimed to split the country in half, right, right down the middle. In the days before the invasion, as Russia's troops numbers, troop numbers on the border reached 200,000, Russia's public was focused mostly on the eastern areas of the uh, disputed territories, right? So we're talking about the areas that was under dispute with the Russian separatists. So Russian, you know, the Russian people thought that they were just going to focus on that region. They didn't think they're going to invade the entire country. By recognizing the separatist areas controlled by Russian proxies as independent, Putin was telling the world they no longer were part of the Ukraine. So by recognizing the independence of the disputed territories, basically Putin was saying, you know what? They're not part of Ukraine anymore. We said it. They're not part of Ukraine. So therefore, hey, it's up for grabs. 
Putin even supported their claims to even more Ukrainian territory. The separatists, right, they're not just satisfied with having their little area of the eastern and southern parts of Ukraine. No, they want even more territory. They want to claim even more territory for Russia. So Putin says, hey, why not? The self-named People's Republics, they only cover one-third of Ukraine's disputed regions, but the rebels, they want the entire region. They don't want their little piece, their little slice of the pie. They want the whole pie, right? So let's talk about it. How dangerous is the invasion to the rest of Europe? All right, it's another good question. So these are terrifying times for the people of Ukraine and of the European continent. Witnessing a major world power invade a European nation for the first time since the Second World War is like watching history repeat itself. So there have been hundreds that have been killed already. Germany has dubbed the invasion Putin's War and has brought back dark memories of the 1940s. President Zelensky has spoken of Ukraine's bid to avoid a new Iron Curtain closing Russia off from the civilized world. And Ukraine has already suffered enough. They've already fought a grueling eight-year war with Russian proxies in the east and in the south. So with this war, right, with this new invasion, the military is calling up all their reservists, aged 18 to 60 years old. Pretty much anyone who can carry a rifle is being asked to fight for Ukraine. The top U.S. general, Mark Milley, has, has stated that the scale of Russian forces would mean a horrific scenario with conflict in dense urban areas. This is not a war that Russia's population was necessarily prepared for either. The invasion was approved by the top levels of the Russian legislature without any consent from the voters. There are no voters in Russia, right? Only a small block of people make the decisions in Russia, led by Putin. He has the final say. Five countries are seeing a massive influx of refugees. According to CNN, there have been over 100,000 refugees to enter Poland alone, right? Just Poland itself, over 100,000 people have flooded across the border. Poland, Moldova, Romania, Slovakia, and Hungary are all bracing themselves for a rush of new arrivals. So, what is the West doing? What is NATO doing? NATO's defensive alliance has made it clear that there are no plans to send combat troops to Ukraine, but they have offered advisors, weapons, and field hospitals. NATO has deployed several thousand troops in the Baltic states and Poland, and for the first time is activating a large rapid reaction force. So they've always had this big kind of reserve force, but they never had to activate it because no one has been stupid enough to invade another European nation for a long time. At the same time, right, the West is taking aim at Russia's econ uh, economic, financial institutions and also individuals, right? So they're targeting people now. So the EU and other European nations, they're not just saying, hey, well, you guys can't do that. That's bullcrap, right? No, they're actually going to be targeting various institutions. And it's important that they do this. You know, if they're not going to send troops, right, which is not a good idea because that's going to start pretty much 
World War III if they send troops in because it's a defensive alliance. So if one NATO country gets attacked, pretty much that's war on everybody, right? So this is, this is a list of the things that have happened so far that the West has tried to do to slow down Russia. The EU, US, UK, Japan, and Canada are cutting off key Russian banks from the International SWIFT Payment Network, which allows the smooth and rapid transfer of money across borders. Much of Europe has shut off its airspace to Russian airlines. The US, EU, and UK are imposing personal sanctions on President Putin and Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. Lavrov. Germany has halted approval on Russia's Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, a major investment by both Russia and European countries. The EU has targeted 351 Russian MPs and aims to limit Russian access to finance, technology, and defense. The UK says all major Russian banks will have their assets frozen, with 100 individuals and entities targeted. Russia's national airline Aerofloat will also be banned from landing in the UK. The US itself is targeting 10 of Russia's biggest financial institutions. Also, the Russian city of St. Of St. Petersburg will no longer be able to host this year's Champions League final, and the Russian Grand Prix will not take place in Sochi. All right, so these are pretty significant sanctions, all right? If you guys know anything about how money flows internationally, freezing Russian assets in multiple countries is a blow. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm 100% sure that Putin had this in his mind, right? He's not a smart guy. I mean, he's not a, I should say, well, he's not being smart, but he's not a stupid guy, right? I know that he spoke about this with his advisors and weighed the risks, all right? But we have to keep, the West has to keep putting pressure. If they're not going to commit troops, they need to commit, you know, advisors like they've been doing, weapons, training, equipment, and money to the Ukrainian forces. Also, while they're supplying the Ukrainians with assistance, with aid, they need to cut off, you know, the limbs of the Russian war machine, right? You can't fight a war if you can't feed your troops. You can't fight a war if you can't buy fuel to put in the trucks. You can't fight a war if you don't have the money to sustain the supply chain, right? Because it's not just about invasion, right? Running across a border is easy. It's maintaining the momentum of the invasion. And there's already reports that the, the invasion has kind of been bogged down by logistical issues. And if all this stuff is not planned out years in advance, then this is what you see, right? A lot of miscommunication. Russian forces don't know where they're going, right? Uh, they're running out of fuel. I've seen a video where two Russian tanks on this uh, road outside of the capital have been broken down because they ran out of, of gas. So that stuff is happening across the war zone. All right. So there's things that, that NATO can do to at least slow down Russia. So what does Putin want, though, right? Why is he doing this? Putin is, you know, partly blaming his decision to invade on NATO's eastward expansion. He had been complaining 
that Russia had, quote, nowhere further to retreat. Nowhere further to retreat to. Do they think we'll just sit idly by? Right? I guess that's a rhetorical question. Ukraine is seeking a clear timeline to join NATO, and Russia's deputy foreign minister explained, quote, for us, it's absolutely mandatory to ensure Ukraine never, ever becomes a member of NATO. Last year, Putin wrote a long op-ed describing Russians and Ukrainians as, quote, one nation, and described the collapse of the Soviet Union in December of 1991 as the, quote, disintegration of historical Russia. He has claimed that modern Ukraine was created by communist Russia and is now simply a puppet of the West. Putin has also argued that if Ukraine joined NATO, the alliance might try to recapture Crimea. He wants NATO to retire its pre-1997 borders. So he wants NATO to go back to pre-1997 NATO, which of course will never happen. Russia wants NATO to remove its forces and military infrastructure from member states that joined the alliance since 1997 and to not deploy, quote, strike weapons near Russia's borders, meaning Central Europe, Eastern Europe, and the Baltics. To Putin, the West promised way back in 1990 that NATO would not expand, not an inch to the east, but they, that they expanded anyway. So he's saying, look, you guys promised the Soviet Union in 90 not to expand, but you did anyway. So, in my opinion, NATO is bullcrap. You're a threat to Russian independence. You keep pushing closer and closer, creeping closer and closer to our border. Now you want, you're looking at Ukraine as a possible member of NATO. That's a no-go. We're taking over. And that's what he did. What has NATO said? NATO is a defensive alliance with an open-door policy to new members. And it's 30-member nations... Uh, claim that that will never change right there is no prospect of ukraine joining at least for a long time but just the threat of nato being interested in ukraine was enough to make putin take action the idea that any member would withdraw from the alliance is absolutely ludicrous right no member is going to withdraw because putin is mad that they join that's not going to happen they join for a specific reason and it's a defensive alliance that ensures the stability of Europe. And so far, up until recently, has worked. Now, I think NATO has gotten pretty lazy, but that's a whole nother topic for a whole new podcast. David versus Goliath. Let's talk about the capabilities, the military capacity and capabilities of each country. By every measurable metric, Russian forces overwhelm and are superior to their Ukrainian counterparts in terms of size, strength, and technological level of equipment. There are a few areas where the Ukrainians have the advantage. One, Ukrainian troops are defending their homeland. Russian forces are invading their neighbors who have, are really no threat to the Russian homeland, who for most Russians are not even seen as a dangerous enemy, but rather as closely related people. Russia are the invaders. Ukraine is the home team. The patriotism that this invasion has stirred up in Ukrainians is undeniable. You cannot underestimate 
the motivation of people who have something to fight for, the fighting spirit of someone who's defending their family, defending their friends, defending their homeland, there have been instances of much, much weaker opponents beating much larger enemies, i.e. Vietnam, i.e. Russia's failed invasion of Afghanistan in the 80s. We can go on and on and on, right? Afghanistan, all right? Now, initially, in all these wars, of course, the the mat, you know, the overwhelming force initially defeated the smaller force. But as time went on, the fighting spirit of the people in the defending nation won the day. Now, we don't want it to get to the point where Russia takes over the Ukraine, right? But Ukraine's by itself in this fight. So they can they can only hold out so long. The only thing they can hope for, in my humble opinion, is that Russia stalls, their invasion bogs down, and the people start clamoring like, "Hey, we need to get out of Ru we need to get out of there." The people in Russia, popular uprising against the war in Russia, combined with mounting casualties, combined with with mounting financial costs, forces Russia to kind of fall back at least to the border. That's the best outcome I think that Ukraine can hope for. All right, so. Two, right? This is the second advantage that Ukraine has. Russians need to have a solid logistical and supply chain system to pull off a successful invasion. There are rumblings that they are already slowing down and running out of supplies. Armies on the march, they need food for their stomachs and fuel for their vehicles. Troop numbers. Russia has a huge standing army with 900,000 active personnel and 2 million reservists compared to only 196,000 active troops for Ukraine and 900,000 reservists for Ukraine. Russia, though, has only put 200,000 troops around Ukraine for the invasion, meaning that the fight on the ground is fairly even in terms of straight number boots on the ground. Ukraine has called up all men from ages 18 to 60 who are able to fight meaning that they will have the numerical advantage in terms of just raw bodies. However, despite this numerical advantage possibly for Ukraine, Russian forces are still very large and more than enough to, over, to, el to uh, overwhelm Ukraine. Their forces that have invaded Ukraine are much larger than the forces that were sent for the First and Second Chechen War and they are the same size as the largest peacetime operations of both the Soviet Union and NATO during the Cold War. All right, fun fact. Let's talk about vehicles, equipment, and weapons. Russia has more and better weapons than the Ukraine. I, I'm pretty sure everyone can figure that out. Russia's army has 12,500 tanks compared to Ukraine's 2,500 tanks. Russia has not deployed anywhere near all their personnel yet. So the imbalance will be lower than the raw numbers display. Russia has 60,000 military vehicles, with Ukraine having only 12,000. But since Ukraine is a home field, is a home team, and they have a home field advantage, they don't need vehicles as much as the Russians will. 
In terms of air power, Russia has 1,391 planes compared to only 128 for Ukraine. Russia has 821 helicopters to Ukraine's 55 helicopters. Russia's targeted bombardments and surgical strikes have knocked out much of Ukraine's ability to get their planes in the air. But Russia, although having air superiority, does not totally have control of the air, right? They have not gained total dominance of the airspace yet. And this is due to the Ukrainians' expert use of their newly supplied anti-aircraft equipment, which had been supplied by the West since 2014 and more recently through NATO to fight against this Russian invasion. There have also been stories of an ace, a fighter pilot they call the Ghost of Kiev, of Kiev, a Ukrainian ace, a MiG-29 fighter pilot who allegedly has shot down six Russian planes on the first day of the war. And that has done a lot to raise Ukrainian spirits, right? Just these stories that show, hey, we can beat these guys. They bleed just like us. Just like the uh, Rocky IV movie where uh, <laughs> Rocky's getting pummeled and he punches the Russian and he just cuts him. He's like, oh, he's cut. He is a man. He does bleed. So Ukraine needs all these small victories they can get to fight against the Russian war machine. But Russia is still in control of most of the airspace over Ukraine. Let's talk about budget. The Russian military budget is $45 billion, 10 times Ukraine's $4.7 billion budget. However, Ukraine has been working hard to modernize its military since 2014, but they're still playing catch-up. Despite tripling their defense budget, much of Ukraine's armor and equipment remains old and will struggle against Russia's more modern forces. All right, so, you know, there's a lot going on, all right? This is just a recap of what's going on up till now. I want to bring you guys up to date. I'll come back later in the week with another update, quick emergency podcast. I just want to give you guys some sense of the backdrop behind it. How did we get to this point, right? The mismatch, the David versus Goliath metaphor is real, right? Ukraine has a much smaller military. They have much uh, less experience. Russia has, I don't know, so much experience. Decades of, decades and decades of war under Russia's belt, right? They have the advantage and experience, but Russia is, isn't fighting for anything, right? They're fighting for the ego and ambition of their leaders. They're not fighting for their homeland. They're not fighting for their family. They're just doing their job. And that's a different level of spirit, a different form of spirit than a person who's back up is you know it's up against the wall and he was fighting for survival because Ukraine right now is fighting for survival and it's gonna be very hard. We all know you know when you've seen you know your dog or cat back into a corner, or you know, <laughs> you know you you're, you're seeing a team that is fighting elimination. You know in that game seven, it's a lot harder to take that team out when their backup is uh, you know is up against the wall. So we're praying for Ukraine. We're hoping they they pull through this. We're hoping that Russia backs off, gets their nose bloody, maybe their jaw broken, and decides to run and turn tail back to the border. That is the best possible scenario, I think, for Ukraine. They're not going to win, right? But what they can do is they can hold long enough 
that Russia kind of like, you know what, this isn't worth it anymore. We just wanted to show you guys what we can do for you. Or not for you, to you, right? We just wanted to bloody you guys up a little bit, but we'll be back. That's the best possible scenario for Ukraine right now. God bless you guys. I hope you enjoyed this quick emergency podcast. I threw it together last minute, but um, it was still well-researched. So I hope you guys have a great rest of Sunday with your families. Pray for you, uh, Ukraine. God bless y'all. Ape. Put God first, your family first. Stay positive. Get after it. Don't let anyone tell you you can't be great. God bless you once again. We out. Peace.